Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Sorry, did I hit my head and wake up in patriarchal bullshit land? Don't put me in charge! It certainly worries me to make self-defeating mistakes out of fear of appearing weak. You were right. We are from different worlds. That is a failing indeed, but I cannot laugh at it. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Soner, available for you on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello, everybody. And Julia. Hey. The three of us write for thefandamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis, which is pretty much what it sounds like. We have a very robust analysis section for all sorts of geeky media, as well as news, reviews, uh, video games, comics, you name it. So let's get political today because... Oh, no. (laughs) Isn't that divisive? Isn't that just horrible and will lead to bad things i'm so tired of politics i just want to go back to ignoring it (laughs) i mean real world politics you should hear what's going on up here it's crazy sauce (sighs) what canada yeah i really don't think i want any gloating today no it's no gloating the um in ontario the leader of the opposition party got accused of sexually harassing staffers, so he resigned, and the election is in four months, and they're going to have a leadership election and then have the regular election in four months. The party is leaderless at the moment. But the premier is a lesbian. Yes. So, just a little bit of gloating. Okay. (laughs) One of my senators is a lesbian. That's true. Anyway. Yep. Yeah, Tammy Baldwin. She's been great. Yeah, she is. She's actually really good. Uh, but yes, politics. Why are we getting so political? On the fundamentals, like, we definitely talk about political things, but you you don't really see us just making, like, Trump tweet jokes, you know? That's not really, like, what we aim for. And it's not that we're apolitical, but it's just, you know, there's a certain value to sort of talking about issues and their impact through media without mm-hmm. necessarily using politicized language. Right. However... The reason political issues come up so much is because you can't separate the personal from political, Mm -hmm. and art is not created or consumed in a cultural vacuum. What? That's a great name. Yeah. Yeah. Someone should have that as their (laughs) Tumblr name. It's a great Tumblr name. Oh my god, you guys. But here's a a question I have. What's your question, What do we mean when we say political, and what are politics? Well... I mean, you have the basic definition of, like, politics being anything that refers to, like, governing bodies. Um, And the creation of, like, policy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the very literal definition. And then, basically, the way that it impacts lives, those policy points, that's sort of the – there's the social politic aspect, too. Right, because you can have something like um, systems of oppression, like systems of oppression intersect with politics, um, and you can have a an issue that is politicized and can reflect um, or comment on social policy without being like about the creation of legislation or the governing body, like racism or mm-hmm. right. sexism, things like that. 
So, like, any, can we say that maybe politics is about, like, the distribution and use of power within a society? Ooh, I like that. Yeah, we absolutely could. It's really Mm. anything that touches, quite literally, the affairs of the state, and whether that necessarily has a policy uh, result is a little bit less relevant than, you know, is this something we should be talking about? Uh, so here on this political gab fest, uh, oh, today, no. <laughs> which is not at all a podcast that Julia and I listen to, um, <laughs> we are going to be talking about politics and media, but not just like, oh, Legend of Korra is progressive. We're going to be talking about <laughs> the way they handle the realm of politics and media. So good uses of politics and bad uses of politics. It's, uh, it's our naughty and nice list. <laughs> And, of course, we've got a fun segment in the middle, continuing our ongoing comparison of the two best uses of politics and media that I know, which is (laughs) the prequel trilogies in Game of Thrones. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, but we'll be talking about honeypotting today, uh, Mm -hmm. just to break up the, the politics. But first, first, let's start with some fandom news. You mean how there are, like, reboots everywhere? The reboot news? Everything. Mm. Yeah. Everything. I feel like I'm living in the late 90s and early 2000s again. Not even a joke. Yeah. Uh, not to be political, but this sort of suggests a cultural malaise and unwillingness to dig in with our current circumstances. You're probably not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. It's depressing. But let's talk about what is being rebooted that is not depressing. And that is Charmed. I never watched yeah. Charmed. I loved Charmed. It was one of those shows I watched like Buffy... Um, so it was, it's a great, like, magical show. Um, <laughs> it could, it could be really good. I, it could be that they don't take it in a direction that I'm super happy with. Um, like, I just, I really want them to, I mean, specifically, I really want them to have women of color protagonists. Like, I, I think that that's like a bare minimum requirement if you're gonna do a reboot like this is like, not everyone needs to be white like it was in the original show. So are they rebooting oh, it or are they like, Bringing it back a la Will and Grace. They're rebooting it. Okay. Good. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah th- there's space for them to do that. Yeah, there, there's nothing that requires white women as the leads in that. <laughs> like, no. That, that We're completely was- superfluous. <laughs> <laughs> but my my show of choice when it came to magical ladies um, was more Sabrina the Teenage Witch, also being rebooted, but this is going to be dark and gritty Sabrina. <laughs> Ew. Isn't she like in a band and it has has a talking cat? I can't remember if she's in a band, but she definitely has a talking cat. She has the talking cat who yeah. is bisexual, actually. But that's <laughs> Salem not is even... like Salem is the best part of that show, like hands down. He's the best no, part of that show. I'm, I'm serious. I'm pretty sure we find that Salem was bisexual, like in the nineties. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, Dark and Gritty, apparently Sabrina the Teenage Witch was based off of comics, and the comics are darker in tone, so that's what they're going with. Weren't I they, don't no, know. Like, were they like in Archie comics? Yeah. Yes. Well, look what they did with Riverdale, so, yeah. yeah. Well, it's the it's the same team, I think. Or at least a couple of the same people from Riverdale are doing the Sabrina spinoff. Is this on the CW also? Well, it was originally, that's who they pitched it to originally, but CW passed on it, and it's actually going to Netflix. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. Speaking so. of Netflix, it was announced that Fuller House is getting a season four, and I, I'm oh like gosh. having an existential crisis about it. Why? Uh, it's kind of like like it's like Three and a Half Men. You're just like it's like a zombie. Why is it still alive? 
I just really want to see how it goes with Kimmy Gibbler carrying Steph's baby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is the plot line that I can't make up. Well, like, everybody else really wants to know, too. That's why they have to bring it back to resolve that plot line. Oh, God. I, I just realized that it sounds gay, but No, not. It's, it's not. Like, I know it's not, but it feels like they're trying to be like, hey, these two ladies have a baby together, but it's not gay. No, th- that show is, like, I want to say assertively homosexual, uh, a heterosexual, like, like, yeah, aggressively so. It's it's bad it has a very serious case of the not gays yeah. oh god yes mm-hmm. uh all right let's let's talk about more reboots on abc we have get christy love being rebooted as well as a gender flipped greatest american hero didn't watch either of those i know nothing about them me either but i love any gender flipping usually like why not do, do it um uh, yeah on broadway we are getting a rebooted gender flipped company with a female bobby oh nice yeah, and I know um, that Shakespeare. Is, I think, oh, uh, I think it's in Britain. They're going to be doing an all-female cast of several of Shakespeare's plays. Um, love it. Yeah, especially because Oz plays are just like dick jokes. So absolutely, please, <laughs> yes. please just have all women do that. Uh, on CBS, we are getting a Magnum PI. I've heard of that. Cageney and Lacey. Never heard of Mag- it. Cagney? I don't know. And and a Murphy Brown reboot. Oh, I've heard of Murphy Brown, but only from that Seinfeld episode. <laughs> Same, where Lane's writing one. Yeah. Where, and no, just like, it. all I know about Murphy Brown, well, first, that Candace Bergen is in it, and second, that, like, she has a new secretary every, every episode because they keep dying in improbable accidents or something, and that's, like, a running joke. Yeah, and Kramer got to be one in one yeah. episode. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So that's all I know about Murphy Brown. Um, They are doing a big screen remake of West Side Story. Well, we've we've talked about this like on our own time, and at first I was very very hesitant slash upset about the concept of remaking West Side Story, <laughs> but I think I think you've convinced me to not be as scared. Me being Kylie, yes, yes. you being Kylie, and also Gretchen, I guess. Yeah, well, for anyone who doesn't know, um, since well, the West Side Story movie came out in the sixties, yeah, and it starred Natalie Wood, who could not sing. Um, so she had, she had, like, someone else do her vocals, and they tried to keep it under wraps. Yeah, after they spray-painted um, her brow. <laughs> they spray-painted all of the, the Puerto Rican characters brown. Yeah, yeah but it's especially not- noticeable with Natalie Wood for some reason. Yeah, Natalie Wood is, color like, brown. She, yeah. I think she's Russian descent, but yeah, like. Yep. She's Eastern European. She's supposed to be playing a, a Puerto Rican protagonist. Yep. Um. Which is, you know, not to that say it's Puerto Rican people aren't diverse when it comes to skin tone. Right, because well, even Rita Moreno, like Rita Moreno is Puerto Rican and yeah. they still spray painted her brown. <laughs> yeah, that was not. That was the 60s. <laughs> but like, because all Puerto Ricans are the same exact shade of brown. But not, so not only is this a chance to cast like, you know, Latinx characters yes. into the roles for the sharks, but it's also a chance to incorporate Lin-Manuel Miranda worked with Stephen Sondheim to rewrite part of West Side Story's lyrics into Spanish. And that was Ooh. what they did on the Broadway revival a few years ago. And it actually, if you listen to the cast recording, it works phenomenally. And I I think it would be a missed opportunity if they don't use those lyrics, oh, yeah. to be honest. I agree. They totally should. As long as they yeah. still have ballet. Yeah. Yes. I Jerome want Rose, so as long as you have ballet. Uh, as long as... Like- you can't, you can't separate his choreography from I agree. West Side Story. Um, and, and that is the only way I will tolerate a 
a Shakespeare reboot of any kind. Especially, honestly, anything that's Romeo and Juliet, because it's been done so many times, Mm. so many times. People are rather enamored of that, aren't they? It doesn't make sense to me. Spoilers, but Maria doesn't end by going, oh, happy dagger and stabbing herself. She just walks off, so. But it's moving. Yeah, it's it's moving, but I'm saying, like, it's actually a little more logical, too. Yeah. Like, less less just teen angst horror fest. Um... Yeah, no, I I love I love musical movies. Even though like my satisfaction with them is usually at about I think a fifteen percent of them I've approved of so far. But in general, <laughs> I love the concept because when it's good, it's really good. You know what right. I love? What exploitative cheerleading <gasps> and concussions? Right? I'm actually I think this is fucking hilarious. The XFL, the Extreme <laughs> oh Football gosh. League, is being rebooted. It was a flop for mm. anyone who doesn't know. The Extreme Football League came in, like, the early thousands, 2002, 2003, maybe? I will look it up on Wikipedia. I think it was 2001. Oh, okay, yeah. And the idea was that it was, like, you know, the NFL, but without all those, like, wimpy rules, like, there's no extra point. They played only one season in 2001. You have to go for the two-point conversion, and and there's no no coin toss at the beginning of the game. You, You have to run for a football that's like thrown on the ground and fall on it it's like really arbitrary thing oh there's no fair catches for punts yeah oh wow so the birmingham thunderbolts the chicago enforcers the new jersey slash new york hitmen the orlando rage las vegas outlaws los angeles extreme memphis maniacs this like San Francisco masculinity. Mm. You know what this reminds me of is when um you know Dennis, Charlie, and Mac are trying to get male friends to party with, so they like <laughs> make flyers on a giant curled bicep. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it does you remind know, me of that, and it ends up looking like a penis. But like that's exactly what the XFL is. Um, oh my gosh! I, I I'm expecting a flop unless it's like supported entirely by like racists who don't want players kneeling for the national anthem and they make that a rule or something that's the only way i could see this succeeding in any way unfortunately but um yeah like we'll we'll see what happens with this at the end of the day <laughs> out of all the things to be rebooted the fucking xfl right you, you know what i love that takes me back to my childhood what's that uh tamagotchis and oh my god Game i remember Boy. when they banned them from my school <laughs> i do too but apparently tamagotchis are going to be hitting store shelves later this year and something called the ultra Game Boy, which isn't officially licensed by Tint- nintendo um is just like an updated console with like nicer graphics and sound that will allow you to play your old Game Boy games on it there are Game Boy emulators like already available and even on your smartphone like you can do this on ios i'm pretty sure probably and i'm sure there's a tamagotchi app like why why yeah there's several tamagotchi apps why would people carry around an egg Uh, you can like put it on your keys you know what i never had was a tamagotchi I wasn't allowed. I never to had a Tamagotchi. I had a Gigapet, which was like a yes! Tamagotchi knockoff. That's what I had. <laughs> I wasn't allowed any of this. <laughs> I had the I had the baby one. My brother had to like deliver a thesis statement and a PowerPoint presentation to my parents to get them to let him buy a Nintendo sixty four with what? his money. Yeah. Wow. It worked. Yeah, I I didn't have a Tamagotchi. I had one that was like a baby. Like, you could raise a baby. Like, you literally could raise a baby. And if, like, 
if you there would be like piles of poop all over the like they didn't change any of the like anything else about it so if you didn't feed your baby the baby would die oh my god (laughs) or there'd be like little piles of shit on your screen if you forgot to like change the diaper or whatever it was weird you know what was really weird was in middle school they wanted us to understand the importance of raising a baby so they gave us bags of flour to walk around with (laughs) my sister made cookies with hers when she was done with that oh my god that's amazing but, like, yeah, that, that will prepare you for a baby. Having lived with a baby for quite a few months now, I can confirm that they're not very similar to sacks of flour. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, slightly more effort. We had these dolls that would, like, cry randomly, and, like, everybody carried them out in class, which was ironic because in my school board at the time, they kicked you out if you got pregnant. So That's weird. Yeah. Oh, so you could have that... a baby doll in class, but not a real baby. Nope. Mm. Not at all. So, Grey's Anatomy is getting a spinoff. What's up with that? Haven't they already gotten spinoffs? Station 19. Grey's Anatomy is another one of those, like, zombie shows. I don't understand why it's still around. I have never watched it. Ever. No. I'm not into procedurals. (laughs) I'll tell you what, though. um, They gave Chyler Lee a callback to her Grey's Anatomy career on last night's Supergirl. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they like they like made a little joke. Is it about, like the coolest a- thing to happen on Supergirl all season? Yeah. Oh yeah, they <laughs> had a callback to her being a doctor. Yeah, she's like, I was a doctor in Seattle. Okay. Ha 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 ha. Right. Um, speaking of DC, DC has announced that a Superman prequel series called Metropolis, which is going to be about Lex Luthor and Lois Lane, and it's from the creators of Gotham. Which is honestly exactly what I thought when I heard that it was going to be called Metropolis. I was like, oh, it's just like Superman Gotham. <laughs> yeah, and this Which is sounds a terrible bad. idea. Gotham is not good, I hear. Yeah. Gotham Gotham is horrible. It's like, if they had just focused as like a Gotham Central kind of procedural around the police department, they could have had something there. But instead, they got enamored with the idea of like, let's see the heroes and villains before Batman's a thing. And it's like, what? Like, right. And they like arbitrarily aged up Poison Ivy just so that they could sexualize her. Yes. Yes. It wasn't arbitrary. It's because they literally didn't know how to write her unless she was Poison Ivy. Because they're like, what would it? What would someone who becomes sexual later look like before she's sexual? You're like, a child? What? She's like she's like a botanist. You can't write anything for this, <laughs> right? You can't make her like a member of like Greenpeace or the equivalent, like something where she's like obsessed with like environmentalism. I remember that in a cartoon because like, like Bruce I, Wayne dug up the flowers with a shovel, so she yeah. I and I feel, I feel like they stuck Renee Montoya on a bus or something and got like wrote her off the show that way. It was something weird like that. But it's just it's just focused on the wrong things. And and what concerns me about Metropolis is that like if you've watched Smallville, you already have seen portrayals of like young adult Lex and young adult um, Lois, Lois by by Erica Durance and uh, Michael Rosenbaum, and they are both like just phenomenal in the role. So I just, I don't see, like, what more would be added and what time period would be remotely interesting. Well, and they're probably going to make them a thing at some point. Which is horrible. Is that, were they never a thing? No! I don't know. I don't know these things. I and haven't watched also, any of these shows. <laughs> and then I'm also worried that, like, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex is going to, like, creep into how people play oh Lex gosh. now. Which is, like, he was doing, like, a bad Joker impression. I don't even know what he was doing. 
That was such, that was one of the, some of the weirdest casting I've ever seen. Oh, man. But yeah, just DC, please don't become Marvel with this. Like, right. Please. Yeah. They're, um, all right, they're already making like a Superman prequel show called Krypton. So why do they need a like another Superman prequel about Lois Lane and Lex? I don't know. I want mid-quills. Where are my gap filler <laughs> shows? I'm serious. Well, there's Star Trek Discovery, which is technically a mid-quill. I want I want a mid-quill for Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra that's all about Aang dying and everyone dealing with it. <laughs> you should write that. I'm here for it. Oh, I have an outline. I have an outline. <laughs> anyway, we are very over time for this segment, so let's just end on one good piece of news. One Day at a Time, Season Yay! 2 dropped over the weekend, and I hear it is amazing. It's so good. I love it. I'm not a big fan of sitcoms, but I will watch One Day at a Time over and over and over again until I die. <laughs> I say I hear it's good because I went to Netflix last night to start watching it, and it was like, your payment information needs to be updated. And I just didn't feel like it, so I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> right. Right. The only annoying thing is when I finished it, they were like, do you want to watch Fuller House? I was like, no, I don't. Those are not even remotely it's- the same. I hear that the audience crossover for that is high. Oh my gosh. Remember when people told us that we should watch Black Sails because we're into Game of Thrones? And that turned <laughs> out well, so. That, yeah, but I feel like this is like the opposite scenario. No, 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 no. No, the sales pitch I had for Black Sails was bisexual pirates, and I was like, yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that was my sales pitch as well. The one I received. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I think my sales pitch for a game uh, for uh, Black Sales was you like just squeeing at me for several months until I watched it. Oh my god, I hounded you. I remember that summer vividly. <laughs> and then like because I was watching, because I remember this so clearly because not only was I watching this, but because I was watching pirate things, I then also rewatched Pirates of Penzance. So I was like nonstop singing Gilbert and Sullivan and trying to get Julia to watch Black Sales. It was a confusing time. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird juxtaposition. Who wants to talk about yeah. politics? Yay! Great transition. All right, we'll be talking our best use of politics and media coming up. Have mercy. So, best use of politics and media. As we mentioned in the opening, talking about politics doesn't always have to be about an overtly political show doesn't always have to be a show about people who are politicians. Right now, my favorite show that is dealing with political issues is Black Lightning. Because it is, it has a message, it knows what it wants to say, and it is hitting it home on every point. I'm so excited to watch the new episode tonight. Yeah, me too. And and what's great is that it came out swinging in the first episode in mm-hmm. the first two minutes. You know, we get him profiled and pulled over by the cops. And, you know... You could just like it. It was. It's just written so authentically without any punches being pulled for any of this, and it's kind of amazing to me that it's like a show on the CW that airs at nine PM. Because like, it's not <laughs> a show that normally exists yeah. in this time slot. It's like you Teen know? Vogue. Everybody was so shocked when Teen Vogue started like talking about <laughs> politics too, right? Yeah. Yes, Lauren Duca. She was uh, an amazing contributor there. But no, Black Lightning. Um, y- you know it. It's certainly about um, police brutality, just about uh, sort of intergenerational uh, racism and economic disparity. And, and it centers on, you know, the one community where uh, people just kind of dream of getting out of there. There's gang violence and, and the cops are ineffectual and unable to do anything. Um, 
and it's it's great too because Anissa, uh, the oldest daughter, is like very focused. She's a medical student, but she's also very focused on the community, and she'll like try to hold her dad accountable to all of this. So for him, the fight begins as something personal, and you you see that motivation, but you also see we're two episodes in, and we've seen the way that's already turned a corner. Mm-hmm. Right, right, because you see this like. It's interesting because of how well it parallels a lot of the discussion nowadays that you see in intergenerational discussions of um, of getting involved, like advocacy and the fight for social justice, is you have the younger generation being like, no, like, this ideologically is a problem. Like, this ideology is a problem. The system is a problem. It shouldn't have to be personal for you to, to stand up against it and fight for it, um, which is what Anissa represents. And then you have um, – Jefferson, who is Black Lightning, and he, for him, it is very personal. Like, he can acknowledge what Anissa is saying about the system, but to him, it's like, well, but my family, I don't want to put my family in danger. This ruined my marriage. I have to have something personal to get involved and fight for it. And it's like, it's a really interesting dynamic, and they zeroed in on that right from the beginning. And it's great, too, because it brings up the the thing of heroes right away, too, of self-care, because he physically gets hurt. He's not a bulletproof dude. He physically gets hurt mm-hmm. on the job, and you see the emotional toll it takes on him to be in this role. You see the toll it takes on him when he's not in this role. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's immediately focused on his struggle. At the same time, his eldest daughter is mild, mild, spoiler alert, but she's developing her powers and kind of looking into that and digging into it. And then uh, the youngest daughter is kind of like attending between being rebellious and cool and actually like dealing with uh everything going on around her and digging into this from a sort of that younger perspective of of not having experienced too much so it's like every character you know we're two episodes in i feel like every character is so textured and so fleshed out and fully realized it's really amazing right because you also you also have the the tension between reforming the society via like education because Jefferson is a teacher. He's a principal. He was a teacher and now he's a principal. So you, you, it also comes at it from the level of like, when is, when is social reform the way to go? When is using the system the way to go? When is, you know, fighting the system the way to go? It just brings up like all the different avenues in which one can like fight an oppressive system. It's just like, you can totally tell that this was written by, by people of color about people of color it's so authentic and so real and just so it's just so good and so fucking relevant too which is great (laughs) um i'm I'm actually struggling to think of anything that's even like that's i would say like jessica jones i'm not putting it on the same level as as a story that's this thorough about it, but Jessica Jones was incredibly relevant in the same way for how it addressed rape culture. Yes, yeah. I agree. Um, I feel, I think it did a good job of that. I understand people who thought it was a bit heavy handed uh, or that it didn't go far enough to, there's actually been both criticisms. <laughs> but, that um, of course. Yeah. But having, having Kilgrave be played by David Tennant just like added this extra layer to it mm. of, you know, he, he's, he did the like nice guy talks right he did like oh i bought you this stuff you wanted this um all all that kind of thing and it was just a really thorough breakdown of how rape affects people and how like victim blaming occurs and manifests and sort of the toll mm-hmm. um so i i don't want to compare jessica jones to black lightning like completely but i do think that there was a similar relevance and a similar like intention 
on political commentary here and now by the creators. Right, right. I think the same thing applies with Kylo Ren in The Last Jedi and what they're doing with you have this character who represents like the epitome of privilege pretty much. Yeah, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he he comes from a good home, he had the mm-hmm. best teachers, he had, you know, the best education, he's, you know, the the, the child best social of, class, yeah. Right, the child of war heroes. I mean, he's he's literally a prince. Um <laughs> technically. As well, yeah, I mean, technically he's a prince cuz he's he's the child of, of Princess Leia Organa. And well, her planet got blown up. There's but there's still the diaspora community. You have the the Alderanian diaspora community. That's true. That that uh, Max Sida, <laughs> No, Max von Sydow was like, "She'll always be royalty to me." Yeah. yeah, go read Bloodlines and also read the Princess Leia comic. I can't recommend oh. the art super well, but um, that whole story is about bringing together the Alderanian diaspora after um, the destruction of the planet. And also, um, oh, I need to read that. Yeah. Wow. But like this idea of like villains aren't always troubled people, like. Villains are sometimes like really nice guys from good homes who get radicalized. Like Kilgrave, yeah. Yeah, like Kilgrave. Like they have a, I think there's a very similar like message being told with like Kylo and Kilgrave. Like yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. like, and no, to it's me just it like, is, what I think what, what they both have in common is the kind of like convincing privileged people that they're actually being victimized. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it's that entitlement, too, that sort of carries both narratives. Um, You know, Kylo feels entitled to Luke's lightsaber, right? Uh, In the same way Kilgrave feels entitled to Jessica's genuine affection. And that's, Mm -hmm. like, the entire plot is him basically saying, like, you should love me. Mm -hmm. That's that's season season one, guys. Um, And, yeah, I I agree with you that there is a ton of intentionality on the part of The Last Jedi, uh, and it was pretty thoroughly deconstructed too, uh, with Luke the mouthpiece of that deconstruction, right? Which is <laughs> so great and so relevant. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think there's a similar thing. I'm trying to think because, like, y- you know what's funny? I know um, House of Cards was ended because of Kevin Spacey, but that's a political show, quote unquote, like made in today's society, and it just doesn't feel that relevant like, not anymore yeah, that's true yeah griffin has a really good piece on why it's no longer like neither relevant nor even all that terrifying anymore like it was it, i think that early house of cards had a sense of like a thriller and like mm-hmm. terror because of the idea of like these entirely self-absorbed machiavellian characters you know, running the entire government purely for their own self-interest. Imagine that. And, like, oh my killing God. people. Like, <laughs> right. Like, it was terrifying because they were smart and competent. Like, that's what made it frightening. I'm sorry. Because they were, like, intelligent and competent. And now, like, that just doesn't work anymore. And and speaking as a political junkie watching that show, it was almost like a show about politics that had nothing to do with politics. Like, yeah, oh, I mean, I can see governance yeah. fights. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, you like details was, of like, you know, Senate procedurals. She feeds her cat with the Senate procedures. Just so you know. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Okay. So there's three cats here, and I I do roll call, and then and then when they all come running up because they all want food, I'll say we now dispense with the roll call in favor of a yay or nay vote. <laughs> And the motion, the motion that we're voting on is, of course, do they get dinner? And I usually have to judge. Sometimes they mew, and that's always a yes. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just like blink at me and that, that could go either way. Yeah. But well, there's something, see- there's something <clears throat> I want to touch on just like, uh, before we completely leave the last Jedi behind, because like something that I think we gushed about, like even at the time and something that the Star Wars movies are doing quite well. And something I've noticed on like, other especially science fiction TV shows, like this has really been hitting me when as I've been watching Star Trek Discovery, is that like people are making very conscious casting choices, not just in the main cast, but about the people who are in the background, right? Like we talked about mm-hmm. in the last Jedi, how like half of the evil moops pushing buttons are women now. And yep. how like shocking and also awesome that was, and also how Half of them are women, and it feels like more than half of them are women because of that thing with the thirty percent talking thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like you know, in Star Trek Discovery, like you look around the bridge, and there's there's a few aliens, but like the humans, they're like most of them are people of color, like in yep. the background, and there are just like random gay people like walking hand in hand in the background. You know, they're just mm-hmm. like the main cast is very consciously like, like you know, like. It should be a reflection of like what the population of the world is. That makes the most sense, right? Right. So that's right. what your humans should look like. And like even when you're going to the mirror universe where they're like horrible and racist, like the humans are still a plethora of diversity, even as they're oppressing the aliens. You know? <laughs> and, Aww, like, isn't nice. that touching? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah. TLJ did that in mm-hmm. one of the scenes. Uh, I mean, in several scenes where you have any of the like battle scenes where you're going back and forth between cockpits and you have a couple of just yeah. like extras that say like yeah go get him or whatever <laughs> it used to like you watch like the ot and even the the prequel trilogy and it's like all white men yeah and you watch tlj and you're like oh look there i maybe saw one white guy and there were a couple of aliens thrown in there yeah. and there were lots of women and like yeah, almost and like no women, one was white women in like combat situations you know like yeah. you have a security team and half of them are women. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. It's it's clear. It's very clearly a conscious choice, but it's something that like just makes so much sense in the setting. Like you know, the thing about like the original Star Treks is just that like the pro- the progressivism of the ideals was kind of ahead of the progressivism of the, of the people who are actually making the show. If that makes any sense, no, right? that's true. So like Gene Roddenberry was just like, yeah, I'm all for female equality, and he probably really believed it too. But like, that's not really what you see on the screen. Right. You, know, you don't see women in, in certain positions. You don't, you don't like see right. women like just like being they all wear short assertively skirts. visible. I mean, that was, that was kind of like a compromise that they came to. Like nobody was happy about that except the suits. But, um, but like, you know, but like now people are making like a very conscious choice to kind of like live up to the ideals of the world they're creating rather than like, you know, our own kind of flawed world, if that makes sense. Right. Right. And that and that is a political decision. That's exactly. making a political statement. What's interesting is that one show that we have on our best use of politics is Avatar the Last Airbender. And mm-hmm. that's that's one show that I would say has probably the worst problem with this. I mean, it got a little bit better. I know there's female Fire Nation guards in book three, I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. But if you look at background soldiers, generals, all of that, books one and two, it's just all men. And there's people that are like, oh, that means it's, you know, very sexist. But, like, I, that's not really born out of the narrative at all. That's just, like, yeah. that that was just the and animation decision. Yeah, apparently it was, like, an animation snafu in uh, Legend of Korra that all of their, yeah. like... All of, yeah, so yeah. that... that they had purposely corrected this by Legend of Korra. There are female equalists. Like, again, mm-hmm. like, it's great. Uh, women get to be genocidal maniacs if they want. Right. Um, 
in in uh in the water tribe in the southern water tribe in book two there was just like an old lady plotting rebellion with uh like Tanrock and his idiots um it's just like you know women existed but in book four if you look at all the bath- background earth kingdom soldiers in kubira's army it's all male models and yeah. brian konietzka wrote in the art book like how pissed off he was about it this was not supposed to happen but like things like in republic city song. when you had like all like kubira's supporters in republic city half of them were women you know, like, so oh, you yeah. can tell, the, like, the ones wearing the, uh, the Hot Topic shirts, yeah. Yeah, like, that was clear, like, an actual snafu, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but we'll talk more about Cora and the bad use of politics, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah. Because Brake and politics, they're just, oh, they're not good at writing it. But I will say, Avatar The Last Airbender sort of really intimately tackled, um, genocide. Yeah. And sort of the mm-hmm. survival narrative. It, no, it, it not only talked, talk, talked about, like, genocide and child soldiers and war, it did so in a way that was appropriate for, like, nine year olds without, mm-hmm. like, whitewashing without compromising. it. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that show is brilliant. It has its flaws, but it's brilliant. As well as, like, there's an intimate exploration of the cycle of abuse Mm -hmm. and, like, its caustic effects on a family. Like, there's that drama thrown in, and these are all clearly traumatized child soldiers, and, you know, they they had that in there. Um, And then... Then in book two, they had the dystopia with the brainwashing Dai Li that are... And long oh my gosh, convincing right? everyone yeah. that there's no war going on because he's trying to have control over Bossing the king. Say so that... doesn't make sense. What? Why doesn't it make sense? Bossing say? Yeah. It's just a little too creepy. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the idea... So I actually got an ask about this because they have a ton of refugees. But from what I can tell, the idea was just to keep the king in the dark about it so long Feng could make the international decisions and basically run the war. Mm. Um, so that's why you see, like, in the middle ring, they're trying to ask the student about uh, the war, and he he obviously knows there's one, and he starts sweating as Judy, like, shakes her head. And he's like, I don't know, I'm not a political science student. And then he runs away. Um, so it gets progressively creepy, but that, I mean, their politics are a little wanting at times, but... They did a pretty decent job overall with at least, at very least, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender with what those stakes were, with what Aang was feeling losing his culture and like waking up and realizing he was the only airbender. Um, and then certainly with calling attention to the problems of, you know, imperialism with the Fire Nation, how it had started under the guise of spreading prosperity, but it became something else. The issues of the colonies and the mixed identities with that, which is something explored a little bit more in the Promise comics, uh, which I can sort of recommend that one. Um, but yeah, like, I, I just found it really engaging. Right. Now, are there any, we haven't yet mentioned any shows that are actually about, like, people in politics. Well, are there any? You kind of mentioned Health's Cards. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Are there any others that, I mean, that we actually enjoy? (laughs) My favorite did it well. One of my favorite shows is always West Wing, and you have to watch it knowing you're watching Sorkin. Yeah. So just throw every female character out the window, except for CJ sometimes, um, because they're all useless the way he writes them. Like, it's just horrible. Yeah, you have to go in knowing that it's super sexist. The thing with the cartographers for social justice. Yes, uh, yes. The 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 cartographers for social equality uh, is uh, one of the best things. What, one of the best things, yes. <laughs> but they do like they do do a good job at actually realistically showing agenda setting and running the administration and what right. the executive branch looks like. Like they do a good job with it. They do. Yep. And you know, Sirkin creates incidences that are believable 
sometimes a little heightened, like the uh, his daughter, go- Je- uh, Jeb Bartlett's daughter, goes missing for a couple episodes. Yeah. So sometimes you can dip it a little into like exaggerated, but not really, not not unrealistically. And if I could recommend anything, there's a podcast hosted by Joshua Molina, who played Will, who I, a lot of people don't like, but is the character that came in in season four. And he hosts he co-hosts a podcast called West Wing Weekly. And they talk about the political issues discussed and they actually like bring in experts who have worked in this field. So they bring in, you know, foreign ambassadors. They bring in like uh, there is one on sex trafficking and they brought in a guy who has made a career out of like busting child prostitution rings. Like it's it's they get dark and heavy. And then like sometimes they bring in, you know, Alice and Jenny or Rob Lowe to like talk about their roles. So it's it's um I can recommend that one pretty well. But if if you're really, really, really into, like, Washington machinations, <laughs> it's a good show for that. If you're into, like, female characters, it's not a good show. Right, because one of the things that I think it does super well is it manages to make these, I mean, bureaucratic, you know, arguments interesting and also manages to to take stories that are, like – historical or kind of like from the news in terms of like these are they're based on situations that that actually happened without it going stale or without sounding like they're trying too hard um yeah like i yeah i found it really 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 interesting um the dialogue for the first at least for the first three seasons maybe four before sorkin left is really is fascinating um i mean i know people joke about the whole like sorkin began the whole like walking down hallways and talking (laughs) like you know you're watching a sorkin show because people are walking down hallways and talking to each other for like 90 percent of the movie but like 90 percent of the show but if you can have a show that's 90 percent people walking down hallways and talking and actually make it interesting like that's pretty damn impressive yeah that's a good point i'd I'd say he was on for most of it yeah Um, this is this is sorkin at his better we will talk about Sorkin at his not better. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be in the under the, the worst section. Um, we're we're running long, but I just wanted to give a quick shout out to like, uh, there's a couple comedies, Parks and Rec, Veep, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, MASH. Is obvi- MASH. Veep is obviously most specifically about this. And, and I think it's still fucking brilliant um, because Selena is just such an odious character. But like, she's so believable as a politician and it's just like the dysfunction of her staff basically mm. um i haven't watched it yet but it sounds funny it's really good. i just it's saw the really first funny. episode where she eats froyo <laughs> oh my god it's and like it, it actually gets a lot better too yeah um yeah because the first season is like a, a, but they it, like it's it's a comedy you know they come together they settle into their roles they settle into their dynamic it's it's like anything like that uh Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I actually don't have a ton of familiarity with, but every single gift set I see on Tumblr, I love the commentary and I love what's going on, so I feel like I have to watch it. Yep. It's a great show. I don't, I don't like, keep up with current episodes, but I've watched a lot of the older ones and it's hilarious and, like, always on point. Yeah. Um, Parks and Rec, you know, they, they handled Leslie's campaign well. It was a little... um it was it's a little soft i guess sometimes when it comes to like really heavy hitting political commentary but at the same time it really does give you an idea of local politics in a more rural area like that is 100% how something like that would unfold um and just the general complete apathy of these bureaucrats like that is 
absolutely on point. Uh, as for MASH, I, what, what, what were you going for with that, Gretchen? Oh, um, I mean, it's a commentary about Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, it's set in the Korean War, but the, it does a really, really good job about, um, unpacking the tension between, like, the soldiers, like, the soldiers who were, like, in the trenches versus the, um, like, the generals and even, like, the politics back home. Um, and it really just kind of showcases, like, the, the disillusionment and disaffection that a lot of the military had with the people in charge, um, while also being really funny. And, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a pretty scathing, um, commentary on Vietnam without being about Vietnam, cause they, I don't think they would have been allowed to make it about Vietnam. <laughs> Probably <laughs> but not. But it's actually time. about Vietnam. Um, cool. yeah. I really want, I really like it. I've seen every single episode because, um, my partner, it's one of his favorite shows ever. So I've watched all of it. <laughs> all right. So check those out. And if anyone does end up watching West Wing, please tell me what you think Donna's guiding motivation is in life because I don't. <laughs> um, but Toby's the best though. Oh my God. I love Toby. He's my I favorite. actually like Will too. He's just like, he's Will. I don't know. I feel bad. <laughs> But we have to move on. We have to move on. So we're going to break it up uh, with a little discussion about honeypots. What happened, Dad? When did you abandon your people? So, 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 Kylie, what is a honeypot? Isn't that like a a sexy lady who's used <laughs> to like entrap people? Well, <laughs> what, why, are, is, why are we talking that about is, that? I don't remember that being in the prequel trilogy. That's the only definition of honeypot you can ever use, yeah. and you can never use words in an, <laughs> uh, in an ironic way, and this is set in stone. Yeah, so um, Game of Thrones gives birth to many uh, yes. fan theories, which, like, if you read the books, you watch the show, like, mm-hmm. yeah, there, there's... That's a normal thing, especially for an incomplete yeah. series, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to make fun of that. Um, And there is one very, very popular theory in season two and three about none other than Talisa, mm-hmm. who Julia loves. Yes, her favorite she's character. so... She's such a paragon of feminism. Oh, for sure. And the actor who plays her is clearly very attractive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the the time-traveling field nurse that won Rob's heart, uh, people began to theorize that she was secretly a Lannister spy because there was one scene where she's like, I'm writing my mother in Valyrian. Um, and that she was a Lannister spy and her job was to seduce Rob yeah. and I don't know. To get him to like Tywin. fuck up this alliance and then lure him to the twins. I, I mean, like, okay. So the idea was that she was a honeypot. Yeah. A honeypot trap. It could even be that she just was getting close to him and then writing mm-hmm. about military movements. Um, but so it was called the Lannister honeypot theory. Uh, however, when it came time for the Red Wedding, she was stabbed brutally. In the uterus. In the, in the fetus, yeah. Stabbed there was a baby the fe- in there. Yep. Uh-huh. And that's how she died. And that's how the Lannister honeypot theory died, too. Yeah. Because, like... And then, she was like, in later, yeah, in later seasons, we were just like, this is like the Lannister honeypot theory because blah, 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 blah. And slowly that morphed into this is clearly a honeypot as well. It's called like language yeah, change. So we, yeah. <laughs> so Joy and I just started yeah. calling it honeypotting. Yeah. And basically honeypotting is rationalizing or creating a theory to make sense of something that doesn't necessarily make it's, sense. The idea is that it's, a, it's filling in the kind of, it's, it's like making mm-hmm. a like safety net for the narrative because it doesn't have one. <laughs> it's like theory crafting, mm-hmm. but theory crafting that fixes problems. Yeah. 
Or because, gaps in the narrative that aren't yes. fully explained. Not even gaps in the narrative, but like plot holes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So the prequel trilogy is full of these mm-hmm. <laughs> um, pie yeah. fans. Because you kind of have it, to. <laughs> yeah. To make so them Gretchen. Worth watching. So Gretchen, you have talked a lot about the Padme theory before. That's my favorite. And it's and like, it's not at all in evidence, but I love it. <laughs> not even a little yeah. bit. <laughs> it's not even a little bit in evidence, but it makes so much more sense than what we got on our screen. Yeah. I mean, it makes it, yeah, it, makes it watchable, basically. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, you the, go, Padme. You manipulate that guy. Yeah. So the Padme theory is, is the, the premise of the Padme theory is that Padme is not actually in love with Anakin Skywalker. Because who would fall in love um, with a genocidal maniac like that? Right. And yeah. it, like whose pickup lines are that he doesn't like sand. <laughs> um, but that she is taking one for the team, that she's pretending to be in love with him because she knows that the Jedi Council is concerned about him. And so she's getting close to him so that she can keep an eye out on him. Um, and then like, I think there are people who expanded to say like, she accidentally got pregnant and then decided like, I guess I'm going for this. And then they got married. <laughs> um, but the whole idea is like, she, like, they she's not actually have, in love like, with any, him. Like prenatal care or anything like that. Cause she didn't know she was having twins. So maybe like. Right. How do you. Yeah. That was weird. <laughs> not... That was really weird. No, you're having twins. No, and, and I mean, like, this is a good theory because it also, like, better explains why she was like, yeah, I have to go to Naboo. Jar Jar's in charge. Like, what? Right. Right. Or even, yeah. Yeah. But then like, like, why she would agree to a marriage, why she would do it, I don't know why she would do any of that. Like, why would she want to be around? She, like, the kid was nine years old the last time she saw him, and now she's like, oh, I guess you're hot now. <laughs> Like, and that's fine if it's like you're hot now. I let's care fuck for you. But, but like, it's not let's hot now. It's you're hot now. Let's fuck. It's like, oh, I am in love with you now. Suddenly, for reasons, I deeply, truly love you. <laughs> anyway, well, so there's this other honeypot which I didn't realize it was a honeypot because it's literally the only way to make <laughs> it make sense, and it's called Palpatine's Gambit, right? And the idea is basically that Palpatine, the Emperor, Darth Sidious, the Chancellor, whatever the fuck he is, he's secretly controlling everybody's actions using the dark side. Right? I mean, like, Mm -hmm. it's it's canon, I suppose you can say, that he pit these two sides against each other and he's technically in charge of both of them. So he's, like, playing chess against himself. Like, right? yeah, he's in charge of the Separatists as well Mm -hmm. as, like, controlling things with the Trade Yeah, because he's the mysterious hologram who they all listen to for some reason. And yeah. he's also the chancellor of the Republic. The, yeah, the, the issue is that people extrapolate this to everything. Mm-hmm. So, like, the Jedi Council being fucking stupid is like, well, Palpatine's doing it. Yeah, he's, he's clouding the dark their- side. Is, is he actively clouding their judgment, or is it just the dark side aura is clouding their judgment that he's creating? <laughs> he exudes, right, right. like, confusion. <laughs> but, okay, so when Yoda goes on to the Wookiee planet uh, to settle that, he's not like, you know what? <laughs> you know what I bet's going on? Palpatine's behind it all. Yes, we've all seen. It's <laughs> like Dooku flat out says there is a Sith in the Senate, and the only person who has any kind of power or authority in the Senate <laughs> is Palpatine. That's and not Jedi true. are like, it's probably Palpatine not totally that guy. Has power because remember she like her one vote can cause everyone to have a vote of no confidence. Right. Like anyone but at any so point could be like, I call for it, but a vote of no confidence. Why didn't they, why didn't anyone see again? No one called her a vote of no confidence in Palpatine. No confidence because because <laughs> the dark side. 
Because dark side caused everything. <laughs> oh my god, I'm sorry. I know we're not talking about the politics of Star Wars, but like we already did that. Like, god, that up. God, the vote of no confidence. Well, okay, oh, so let's talk about some OG uh, honeypots in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh man. So what's what's your favorite honeypot, Joya? Um, I think I think I have to go for Arya's actually asshole. <laughs> the wave, yeah. Yeah, it explains so much. Yeah, so that's a season seven honeypot, actually. Well, yeah, it kind of started in season six. Well, season six yeah. and season seven, but yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, in season six, Arya was in Bravos, and she was training-ish to be a sneaky assassin. It's more like well, she was being we're, hit we're told by, that she was training by, to be a sneaky assassin. She's getting hit with sticks a lot by sneaky assassins, and that trains her for something, apparently. Um... But she kind of pisses them off because she won't kill her target. So she is, like, trying to book passage back home. And she seems really scared. And an episode ends with her drawing her sword and going to bed. But then the next episode, something really strange happens. Where she is suddenly, like, smirking and walking around and being super confident. And then she kind of, like, gets stabbed a bunch in the stomach. So she's acting real peculiar. And people are like, maybe she's secretly the waif. And then the person who looked like the waif who stabbed her was actually Jackin. And he was wearing two masks. Because they've established you can wear two masks. So I don't know at one point this, like, there's two options. Either A, Arya has been the waif since that episode and Arya died off screen. Yeah, well, we never actually see Arya and the waif fight. We just see her, like, cut the candle in half and the candle goes out because that's how candles work. So maybe she was actually defeated in that fight and then the asshole took her place. Or Jackin is one of them. Who knows? <laughs> Any of that could have happened. But yeah, the theory is basically that in that fight, because people have just been kind of clued into a weird behavior on Arya's, in that fight, that parkour fight, it results in the waif winning and taking Arya's face. Mm-hmm. And then going home with Arya's face and then killing Walter Frey and killing all of his house. And then hanging out with Arya's siblings. Well, and she's heard all these stories about Arya and her siblings. Maybe she was all like, you know, jealous that Arya gets and the, the reason that this is compelling is because she's very antagonistic to Sansa for pretty much no reason. Mm-hmm. And you'd think a sister would not behave that way, but yet she does. So therefore, she must not be Arya. She's the waif, and Arya has been dead since season six. Yeah. What's your favorite? I gotta dig pot? it. What's your favorite honey <laughs> yeah. pot, Kylie? My favorite honeypot is that the handsome young man is Gendry. So has that one died is, yet? I don't know how it hasn't. Mm. So in season five, um, Cersei, I, we call her Carol, but whatever. <laughs> um, Cersei has like armed the faith For and they've kind of overthrown the city in a way they like smash idols and arrest gay people it's really strange and she basically did it so th- that um the high sparrow would then arrest loris Terrell, and oliver a sex worker slash squire would testify against Loris saying that he's gay and then in this trial Marjorie would perjure herself so both Tyrells got locked up and if you're confused just don't worry about it it's it's because it's super sophisticated political machinations that you are too stupid to understand right it's just it's really really smart so Marjorie and Loris get locked up and uh then Littlefinger is like around and Olena Terrell is like, what the fuck? Why did you help Cersei lock my kids up? Which we don't really know that he did that. And he said, don't worry. 
I will give you the same present I gave Cersei Lannister, a handsome young man. Yeah. Because he was somehow responsible for all of our testifying against Loras somehow. Right. So a- as he said this, mm-hmm. Julia and I told people, the handsome young man he's talking about is Oliver, because we saw Oliver testify. Yeah. And then, and then the handsome young man he gives Olena is Lancel Lannister, who testifies against Cersei. Yeah. That's clear. That's but what happened. Like, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. It's a cause and effect. A handsome young man shows up and ruins Cersei's life. But then people are like, no, no, no. That's not the handsome young man he promised Olena. The handsome young man he promised Olena was Gendry. Gendry has a claim to the throne. It's like, well, but that would negate Marjorie's claim to the throne. What are you talking about? But for, like for years, people were saying, oh, no, Gendry's going to come back and be the handsome young man. It's like, dude, don't you think this plot thread is gone? <laughs> and at this point, Olena's dead. Yeah. So I really and Gendry is back on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was not introduced as the handsome young man or having anything to do with Littlefinger at all. He's the fastest but... runner in the North, which is what he is. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, that was, that was like one of the best honeypots because people were like so committed. Like, no, it can't be Lancel being the handsome young man. That's stupid. Uh-huh. That doesn't make sense. We're like, uh-huh. <laughs> Exactly. It does not, but with with it's Weisseroff's razor, or uh, yeah, right, or D and D's razor. I forget which one. Whatever the most stupid, straightforward answer is, that's what it is. So no, Arya is not actually the waif either. She just wants to cut her sister's face off and wear it, or threaten that. Yeah. So who wins? Yay, family bonding. Who wins? Who wins? Who's the winner? The prequels or Game of Thrones? That's what we're doing, right? Yeah. Um, Game of Thrones yields more honeypots, but I would say that the prequels honeypots are, like, more encompassing, usually. Yeah, it's not usually about individual moments. Like, my experience is more, uh, maybe that means that there are bigger flaws, or probably just different <laughs> kinds of flaws, mm. um, to deal with. They're, they're more just like, this, yeah, they tend to span, but then also, like, it's the difference between, you know, six hours of, viewing experience versus right. you know however many mm-hmm. game of thrones is yeah well and and to that point too gretchen i think the thing is that like george lucas told the story he wanted to tell and it's just a bad story so people try to fix it like that's what i think it is with game of thrones D are just lazy and sloppy and they don't really think about what story they're telling right so there's like a lot to fix um, right. And like my frustration with, with Game of Thrones honeypotting is that it, it shouldn't be necessary. Like it shouldn't be necessary for either of them because like these are people who ought to be able to tell interesting stories. Um, mm-hmm. but with Game of Thrones, like there's a source material. Like, but, yeah. so well, the source there, material is the source of many of the, of the honeypots too. Because people want right, to say, yeah. like, oh, they're totally going to incorporate this plot line. This is totally about Lady Stoneheart, guys. You know? <laughs> so. Right, right. Oh exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there's, like, a there's a difference there going on between, like, I'm more annoyed at the necessity of honeypotting in Game of Thrones because the part of me just goes, like, well, this shouldn't be necessary. Like, you should be able to tell the story without the audience having to, like, jump through hoops to figure out what you're saying. Because like there 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 is an actual like body of material that you're supposedly adapting. And so it shouldn't be necessary to honeypot. Like whereas Star Wars, like, I also think it shouldn't be necessary to honeypot, but like they're at least not trying to adapt something and just failing miserably. 
Like, it's right. it's just because George Lucas does not know how to write characters very no. well. Poor guy. Now, all this being said, if you do Honeypot, I think it's... I think it's fun. Yeah. I think it's a fun yeah. exercise, especially especially if you're engaged in the narrative. Like I write, I write um, Legend of Korra honeypots all the time. Tribunals was my big honeypot. To well, there's a difference how between a was founded in six months. There's a difference between a honeypot and a fanfic, though, right? But it started out as a honeypot of how this could have unfolded, yeah. and then I just expanded it into a narrative. Is what I'm saying. Like, and I think there's a fine line too between theories, transformative theories mm-hmm. that are like honeypots and thick honestly right i think it's a really fine line yeah, yeah. You're, you're right about that. um yeah so i mean I, I this is not meant to malign anyone who honeypots we just think no. it's really funny because these narratives are hot messes and the therefore the honeypots to fix it are inherently funny right so like to me i would come to come down on the value of honeypotting depends on how invested you are in the story because like i find um Honeypotting the prequel trilogy to be much more valuable, but that's because I'm really invested in Star Wars and I want these stories to be interesting and engaging and make sense and like complex and nuanced. And that's not what I got. <laughs> so like I have to honeypot to like make the story what I wanted it to be. And that's because I, I really like it. Like I like the world. And for people who are invested in Game of Thrones, but aren't invested in, invested in Star Wars, like it's probably just the same thing, but reversed. Like, the value is yeah. in how much the story matters to you. My mind, like, can't comprehend being that invested in Game you of Thrones. You were once that invested in Game of Thrones, though. I I know I was. I know I was. But it's just, like, at this point, I'm like, how? <laughs> but um, I will say, too, uh, Star Wars Rebels is basically just professional honeypotters. Yeah, same with the, the Clone Wars. Yeah. Yes, I think that's what I meant, yeah. actually. I never remember which setting. Yeah. yeah. The Clone um, Wars is basically, right. yeah, it's basically just like, we desperately need, we really want to make <laughs> Revenge of the Sith make sense. <laughs> so we'll just, oh. you know, we'll give you several seasons of, of a show that actually makes sense of all of that. Yeah. That's great. And they I do love it that. fucking well, too. I know, it's amazing. All right. So check that out and check out the prequel trilogy and Game of Thrones. Wee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but now we're going to transition into our naughty list. Same kind I gave Cersei. The handsome young man. All right, so worse use of politics in the show. We, to be clear, we're not talking about politics that like we just disagree with. We're not talking right. about Fox like, News. We is don't. What you mean. <laughs> right. We're not talking about actual like real life news. Like we don't like Twilight's pro life messaging. I mean, I don't, and it wasn't deftly done. There was just a scene where someone was like, the fetus is killing her. And then the other person was like, it's a baby. And that's literally how they presented the issue. But um, when we say worst use of politics, I think what we mean is like most clunky or out of place or not true to life Mm. or... Or badly written. (laughs) Yeah, badly written. Or just like most not sensical. Yeah. So, so... Should we should we so. start with, with the other side of Aaron Sorkin? I was going to say, let's start with the uh, naughty Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> oh, God. But not in a sexy way at all. Oh. No, it's never in a sexy way, because here's the thing about Aaron Sorkin, is Aaron Sorkin writes time and time again very obvious self-insert characters that are sort of asshole-ish guys that slowly but surely wear away women and chip away and finally win them over with their superior intellect and debating skills and then they are intellectually wooed by them and date him i mean the character (laughs) who's not aaron sorkin not no not at all what are you talking about so newsroom was his idea to have Will McAvoy, a 
Republican newscaster slowly wear away his ex-girlfriend and get back with her ex-fiance i don't even remember who cares. wasn't this actually um, a commentary on like aaron sorkin's actual like ex-wife or something i'm 100 percent sure <laughs> <laughs> and it was done through the format that he was a news anchor that was commenting on real world events so the first episode of season one is on the bp oil spill and this was a great way for Aaron Sorkin to not only win his ex-girlfriend back or whatever he was doing, but also to write how media should have been covering this and shame, you know, everyone in news for this. It also seems like and a great like- way to be like instantly out of date and irrelevant because isn't it also right. going to be like a few months behind? Yeah, and, like, the issue is he just, this formula, you can't do that much with it. After a certain point, you're like, this needs to progress. His problems with writing women multiplied. Alison Pill's character was, like, the worst thing I've ever seen. Sloane Sabbath was, like, um, played by Olivia Munn, (laughs) ended up with the biggest asshole on the show who slowly wore her down with his superior intellect. And like, it was, just, oh my God, it was just so bad. I, I, I actually has been hoping that the end of season two, it was the Obama Romney election. I was hoping that they were going to have Romney win and then they were going to go into a different timeline. So at least there'd be something, but no. Right. Cause there's, they didn't do that. Cause there's a difference between the West Wing, which the West Wing wasn't trying to like fix the way that like political situations were handled. It was more just trying to like explicate it. Or to, like, dig in deep about what that process looks like. And, like, that's something that even if the story is older, like, that concept doesn't get old. Because you're not trying to, like, say, well, this is what should have been done. You're just like, oh, here, here's how this process works. Well, Whereas, like, the newsroom, like, the idea of, like, taking, like, actual news coverage and being like, well, this is what the, the news anchor should have said about it and I'm going to fix it. Is just, like, it's always going to sound, like, super petty. And also people are going to be like, yeah, but why are you still talking about this? like that that's yeah that's and, and it's so weird too because if they had just like you can write an oil spill without calling it the bp oils right like you right. don't need to do this at all yeah because that was the other thing that i think that that west wing did was it rarely ever called things what they actually were it was always a kind of like oh this is about you know it would have been like it's you know an oil spill in antarctica when we know that it's right. really about the BP oil spill. Like, that would have been, that was, like, the West Wing's way of handling it. Whereas, like, the newsroom was just like, no, we're literally going to talk about the thing that actually happened. Like, Which is such no a subterfuge. weird call. I mean, I think it was so he could call out the Republican Congress that was currently there. But, like, it was just bad. And then I ended up, like, not finishing it because there was an episode that was about, like, um a woman who was raped, but they couldn't verify her story. So oh. then uh, they Don was tearfully like, it's the right thing not to run this because you can ruin a man's life. And it's like, and like it's the job of the news. I, I don't know. It was just so fucking tone deaf. It was like the same week that a college rape expose in time had come out. Like it was oh. just so bad. And I like, I, you know, Aaron, I'm sorry that people have said mean things about you online, but I can't watch this stupid show. So, yeah, that's that's the bad side of Sorkin. I have a lot of feelings about it. <laughs> I um there's another show you have a lot of feelings about that doesn't do like politics show, well. Like every show on this list I have a lot of feelings about. How about how about Fuller House? <laughs> oh, oh my god. Okay. So Fuller House is obviously not about politics. It's not going to try to be about politics. It's Fuller House. Um it's kind of st- 
like it approaches real life issues in a really stupidly naive way. <laughs> like like uh Steph was um creating uh she was doing in vitro uh fertilization so she needed her eggs to be harvested. So they just had her like taking hormone shots as a joke because it was funny, but they it wasn't like in sync with like when she had a surrogate or anything. So they just, they just have a general sloppiness with how they script anything is what I'm saying. So it's not like I'm expecting Fuller House to provide really sparkling insight or commentary. Right. However, what they do do is they throw out Trump jokes. Like they'll just, it's usually the middle son and he'll just he'll build a wall out of his bricks separating his side of the room from his brother's <laughs> side of the room. I think that's and high comedy. Uncle Jesse would be like, "Why did you do this?" and he's like, "I'm making the room great again." <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like tone deaf like clearly trying to capitalize on like a moment without really understanding the implications or being aware of like how it might land is one of my least favorite things. That can yeah, happen. And especially, especially in Fuller House, it's not even vaguely progressive as a show. Yeah. Like, the most progressive thing it ever did was make Candace Cameron have a plot line with gay people in oh. it so she'd have to interact with gay oh people. Oh my gosh. But other than, Ooh. <laughs> like, but like, other than that, like, it's just, it's not progressive. The, the jokes are still like, look, this man is Argentinian. Laugh at his accent. It's like, what? Oh, gosh. It's so uncomfortable. I know some Argentinians, it's so though. so bad. <laughs> what? what? I know some Argentinians. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure that the writers do, and will probably tell you that that and about it, and that that makes it okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it was weird. They, like, had... They had, uh, actually, that character who... Fernando. They had him do like a Larry the Cable Guy impression on the 4th of July episode and it's like the, is this really, what? Like, how <laughs> yeah and he's like I love America and I'm like dude people they're talking about building walls right now in America like this is what you're going with for your joke right and it's you, like so you can compare that to a show like One Day at a Time where one of the plot lines in season two is that one of the sons it's a Cuban family and he's getting bullied by people at school who are telling him like go back to Mexico and, like, saying mm-hmm. awful shit like that. Like, this is a sitcom who's willing to be like, no, this is what it actually looks like. Um, and, like, the, it revolves around how he doesn't want his family to, like, come to his sports games and cheer him on because they're, you know, aggressively Cuban and he finds it embarrassing and doesn't want, you know, to be bullied again. And he got in trouble because he punched that kid um, for telling him to go back to Mexico. And, and I mean, you get to talk about, like, how I think the mom even says, like, no one – the only – they only notice that one moment. Like, they don't get to see, like, all of the other times that you were bullied and all of the other times that right. people said things like that to you. They only notice, like, the one time that you react. And, like, so, like, that's a show that can handle, like, a topic like immigration and, you know, racism, like, really, really well. And just just throwing right. out a Trump joke about building a wall is not, like, <laughs> yeah. sensitively dealing with an issue. And if you can't deal with an issue like that sensitively, like, I just think you shouldn't deal with it at all. Right. I'm, I'm not asking – I'm not asking Fuller House to become, like, the next great dictator or something like that. <laughs> I love right, it. Right. I'm just saying, <laughs> don't have the little boy's school project be Make Earth Great Again when he's talking about, like, I don't know – conservation or gardening or something it's just like so fucking toned yeah like um this um, is something that like star trek 
to mention Star Trek again for some odd reason, is kind of infamous for. It has these, like, message episodes where it hits you with a sledgehammer. It's like a very special episode of a 90s teen sitcom. You know, like, <laughs> like they'll tell you something like, racism is bad, aren't we brave? <laughs> Homophobia? That's <Good> wrong. <laughs> that guy's the worst. Yeah, because he's racist. Um, I mean, there that is sounds this, like turf wars, I'm sorry. <laughs> there is no, this, I specifically said that. There is this one... um episode of Enterprise where T'Pol gets an extremely vague, uh, thinly veiled analog of AIDS. And, like, oh. everyone's, like, talking about how, like, oh, it's not a moral thing, and, like, blah, 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 and all the Vulcans are like, oh, no, only immoral people get this disease. It's because you mind-melded. And, like... Oh, my gosh. Oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake. It was so poorly done. And... You know... There's yeah. also this other oh, episode of Next Generation where there's this, like, species that's androgynous, but, like, some of them feel, like, one gender or the other, and, like, Commander Riker falls in love with them, and it manages to be, like, very heteronormative at the same time. It's it's truly brilliant in its mediocrity. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, there are some really, really excellent Star Trek episodes, but then mm. there are some really, really, mm, yes. really bad ones. It's an extremely uneven And when franchise. it's a clunker, it's a clunker. Yep. Oh, yes. Um... I was going to say, speaking of really clunky, like, <laughs> progressivism. That's not uh, really all that progressive. Or that doesn't, under, that, that like, doesn't understand that it's not being as progressive as it thinks it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, basically all of Supergirl. Oh, no. um, I really like the first season. You guys yeah, the first season is great. You guys completely, like, just soured me on the, even the idea of watching the second season. Well, like, to me, the but, second season is one of, like... Th- the worst offenders because like the whole first half of the season is setting up this this narrative about like refugees and alien refugees and how important it is that they deserve protection and to be taken care of and like not all refugees and aliens are criminals or or rape it like it's clearly a political commentary Mm -hmm. about immigrants and refugees in the united states and it's setting up this really interesting conversation about like aliens and how do we deal with like extraterrestrials who are refugees from other planets and then the second season seems to have entirely forgotten or not the second half of the second the second half of the second season seems to have entirely forgotten or not realized the fact that the main villain was an alien refugee who tried to like enslave the planet like mm, and then like, there were slavers too, and there was a prince, but they had also been oppressed by Krypton. It's really confusing. Like the mixed messaging is crazy, and basically the Lillian Luther, the fucking voice of xenophobia, yep. ended up being one of the people to save the day from the alien invasion. From, from the and aliens, then, the people that she spends the entire season saying are dangerous criminals who are only going to hurt humanity. Gee, and she ends well, up. She's she, right. Right. Like, they accidentally endorse one of the villains. Yeah, like, how do you mess up this badly? Also, Supergirl season two is maybe one of the worst episodes, like, seasons of television I have seen, period. What about season five of Game of Thrones? Okay, well, nothing's going to be that Mm. level. Can we also talk about how the last two episodes of season two were called Resist and nevertheless, yes. she persisted, and oh, it makes absolutely like no sense. Idea. Like, it makes no sense. Who is persisting? <laughs> Kylie and I actually, I think we, t- in our, like, retrospective on season two, I think we spend, like, at least part of it being like, who is, who's the one that's persisting? Is it Lena? Is it, is it Kara? Is, is it Rhea? Is it the villain? Like, 
Yeah, we're like, we she think keeps it's trying. <laughs> she keeps and, trying and to win. <laughs> Insult to injury is that, like, that entire season, whatever you think of Monel, even if you like him, he, he was the focal point. That whole last confrontation was his parental issues, and he did replace Kara in the narrative for the focus. And maybe you think that's justified, maybe not. That's just what it is. But obviously, like, if you're then going to use nevertheless she persisted when you have a female villain and when that's specifically referencing Mitch McConnell not letting Elizabeth Warren read Coretta Scott King's letter about Jeff Sessions on the floor. Like, it's such a specific reference. Right. It's not just it's not just like a yay girl power moment. Like, it's a very specific, like, you know, conversation about how, like, men take over space that has been given to women. Mm-hmm. So, like, the irony involved in calling it, like, nevertheless she persisted is, like, do, do you guys know? Do, do, you, do you realize it- what this is? <laughs> like, did Maggie persist when she didn't know how to fire a shotgun? I don't, I'm confused. And then, and then they tried their attempt at border wall politics by having... Maggie's homophobic dad say the reason he was homophobic was because there's racism against Mexicans and he won't deal with his daughter experiencing discrimination too. Right, like he doesn't want so her he to be gay because she's already because she's already suffering. like suffering. Yeah. Right. So he just So he will add to that. Right. By by yep. dropping her off on her aunt's doorstep and abandoning her. Right. Sounds legit. Because he cares. Right, but like they but they said like people are building a wall and that's bad. So is <laughs> racism apartheid? That's wrong. Right. I can't I I can't wait to see like what the episodes are gonna be called for this. Is it is like I don't know, it's probably gonna be like some Princess Leia quote. Woman's places in the resistance or something. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be like something fucking horrible. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think, like, politically, where could he be? It's, no, you know what's going to be? It's just going to be, like, snippets of, of Camilla Harris's questioning of Jeff Sessions. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I would say, like, like Supergirl's not necessarily unique in this in this uh, realm. Like, Gilmore Girls has been equally vapid in, like, what its its political commentary is when it's, like, Rory being like, I love Hillary Clinton. And you're like, oh, okay, so you just picked name. Cool. Thank you. Right. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't really move the needle on much, but. Oh right. Man. Like you're not saying, you're not saying anything like, you're not pushing any boundaries, nor are you making any kind of insightful commentary. Like what it feels like frequently with, when you title, especially with like titling an episode like Resist or Nevertheless She Persisted is what it feels like is like you're capitalizing on a social, like sociopolitical moment to, to like get viewers, really. Mm. Like, and this is the cynic in me is like, this is just blatant capitalism. It's this like, is it's just like, like on a capitalist marketing. And like right. selling it for $40 or something. Right. Or like Gilmore Girls being like, I like Hillary. Like, you're not saying anything meaningful. You're not like, yeah. you're not actually engaging with it. You just want people to think that you're, that you're progressive or cool or like you're, you're one of the good guys because you say racism is bad. Well, like, that's that's just common sense. Like, yeah, racism is bad. <laughs> that's the objection, is that it's it's so, like, cynical and profit. Yeah, yeah, it, feel, it feels way. very much like they're trying to capitalize on, like, oh, people will think that we're cool if we if we call it resist. That means that means that we're feminist and progressive. Right. Yeah, and it's like, hey, people, people are scared about like a literal rise of fascism. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe you should pay attention people to people are like waking right. up every morning wondering if they're going to get deported that day. 
Right. Like maybe yeah. you shouldn't write a Nazi alternate universe when there are literal Nazis mm. in America. Like maybe that's not a good idea. If you're going to handle it sloppily, oh. maybe you just like shouldn't do Nazis. There are other options. You don't have to do Nazis. You can do space Nazis. <laughs> but they punch the Nazis. But right, like, but like that is to me, like, that's one of the the definitions of like vapid, shallow, like political discussion. Because like, yeah, we're punching Nazis. That means we're progressive. Right. But like, did you think like, but you didn't actually bother to investigate or depict like why Nazism is bad other than just Nazis are bad. Like, Mm -hmm. you didn't actually think about the implications of, you know, this universe and what yeah i did i wrote a whole piece on this because it because it frustrated me so much like it's the definition of just like oh people are gonna think that we're cool if we have them punch nazis and i'm like uh, like yeah a lot of people believe you should punch nazis but like there are actually people who don't (laughs) who like actually think fascism and nazism is fine and like if you're going to write a show that deals with nazis you have to be willing to like not just you know, to actually engage with the fact that that's a real ideology that people are buying into. Mm-hmm. And you can't just like, the you know, of the world. right. You just, you can't half-ass, you know, things that are actually going on in the world today because that almost the, makes it worse. Stakes, right. Like the stakes of being flippant yes. are like not to be dramatic. It's life and death. Yep. Like Julia was saying, people are being deported every day and they're just, and you know, we've got fu- fucking Fuller House making wall jokes. Right. There was there was like, a, there was a kid recently, I believe in California, who was killed by his friend who is a who like believes in white supremacy and like the family is like committed to you know Nazi ideology. Killed like someone he knew from school who was both Jewish and gay. Like the implications of like flippancy in dealing with like these things are not are as Kylie said, they're life and death. People are literally dying in America because of Nazis. Like. We can't just, yeah. like, half-assed Nazis. And if you're not going to tackle it, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's always valid. Right. But then just don't tackle it. Don't pretend you're tackling something. Right. When you, when you're accidentally having an anti-immigrant, <laughs> like, I still don't know how they <laughs> fucked up that badly. Like, that was... That's like Pastor Black telling us at the very end that we're supposed to be afraid of robots. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, I have bad things to say about uh, Legend of Korra's politics. I think it's some of the sloppiest mm. written politics, period. But, like, or Harry Potter. There's nothing that can save yeah. that Supergirl commentary. Right. Yeah, because, like, yeah, yeah, Supergirl falls on the side of, like, this is so, like, poorly done that it has bad implications. It has it has negative implications and can potentially like reinforce the structures that it claims to be trying to like engage with and grapple with and speak negatively about. Um, right. With with Legend of Korra, it was more like they just don't know how to write is- politics. <laughs> <laughs> Those idiots think that you can found a democracy in six months. Okay. <laughs> right. Or like Harry Potter being like the the entire ministry is flawed and like we re- <laughs> like we replaced you know one of the ministers with another and everything was still fucked up. But at the end of the story, we just replaced another minister with someone from the order of the Phoenix and it's fine. Like, well, he's a bit okay. of color. So they're progressive. Right. <laughs> it, it's either like the entire system is, is like corrupt and flawed and useless, mm. or it is that you just need to replace a couple of bad apples. It cannot be both simultaneously. That's not how America, that's not how like politics works. <laughs> like, 
that's, I think that's my favorite part of Legend of Korra 2 is actually book four politics. Cause it's like, Kuvira is actually a pretty good allegory for like fascist upright, like fascism taking root. She's, she's more of a technocrat, but it's definitely authoritarian. And there's just, there's allegories that are there, like, uh, Raiko and, and Tenzin trying to stick their heads in the sand or thinking, like, we can control mm-hmm. her and have her step down later. It's going to be fine. And then that's not what happens. But, like, you know, there's, there's basically this huge epic battle in the middle of Republic City, which has the equivalent of a, it's a metaphorical atomic yeah. bomb that rips it open and there's a new portal and all that. And Kuvir is taken down and it, it's, it's this great sort of subversive moment. But then, for some reason, they had Prince Wu, who was supposed to have taken the throne, just in the last two minutes of the show, being like, yeah, I actually think uh, I want the United Republics to elect their the, leaders. The provinces uh, of the Earth Kingdom. The, 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 the Earth Kingdom, yeah. They're going to be independent states that elect its leaders, just like the United Republic. And you're like, what? What? Wait, you're just I mean, like casually... you can honeypot it that this is like his intention and it's not something he's going to do tomorrow. And he's like, let's... And Cora's like, that is yeah. a great idea. <laughs> let's... Institute some constitutional reform to gradually transition. This is honeypotting right now. (laughs) Yeah, but like when you when you think through the implications of him being like anyway democracy, you're just like, wait, what? Like how? Actually, how? Or or the or everything with the equalist in book one, where you're just like, wait, (laughs) wait. So so are the non-benders being actively oppressed in Republic City? And and if they are, then does does getting rid of the bad guy who was leading them actually solve anything? They have a like, president now. <laughs> Apparently oh that, God, that means they're a- not oppressed anymore. We see, like, the allegory of police brutality against non-benders, like, with Tarlock's task force mm-hmm. and the curfew and all that shit. But then the equals just become these, like, puppy-kicking, mustache-twirling, like, blah-bad entity yeah. that are, like dropping bo- they're literally bombing the entire city it's like wait a minute didn't you weren't you trying to help non-benders like why are and, you like they don't are you like they're very the like taliban like they're just like where do they get their healers now they're gonna take everybody's bending away like is there medicine that's not based on water bending in this universe like what if somebody mm, gets an injury no. like how are they gonna generate electricity now yeah who's gonna work the factories like Waka was powering the factories <laughs> It's one thing for them to have been focusing on triad members and kind of doling out a vigilante justice, but then it like it just turned this weird corner when Aman was like, "I just took away the bending of this pro athlete," and you're like, "Oh, How symbolic." Oh, that's what, okay. This is what you're doing with your uprising. <laughs> yeah, I know it's symbolic, <laughs> but we're talking about athletes. <laughs> it's just like it, it's like if if someone just like broke the legs of an athlete. Of a certain, you know, like nationality or something. Like it's just completely arbitrary. And you're like, okay. I don't believe in the cis hetero patriarchy, so I'm gonna, you know, bust the kneecaps of all of the like straight white football players. Yeah, like like Tom Brady. We're just gonna break his legs. We're just gonna, gonna legs. break his legs because, We're not because the any bodily injury to Tom Brady. We're not. We're just saying like that's the equivalent. Of <laughs> that's the equivalent. And and then all the and then all the people were like, Yeah, I could get on board with this. And then Amon was exposed as a bender and they're like, Oh no. <laughs> Wait, what? But does that but like it, it, like the show seems to imply that like exposing him as a bender means that like the entire um like that their ideals are somehow compromised now that like mm-hmm. you can't d- because a bender was in charge of the like anti-bender campaign that there's like no legitimacy to the idea of non-benders being oppressed. 
And like, what? Right. Bender, benders can't help. No, you're not allowed to be a good ally to non-benders. Oh, God, it was a mess. Oh, this is not even touching season season two, oh. where fucking Unalak is putting economic, like, sanctions on his own tribe. Yeah, it's like Jesus. Why? It makes no sense. <laughs> Oh man, um, we're getting we're getting long here. Yeah. So, is there is there any last things uh, you guys want to bring up? Um, thank you for not talking about Rogue One and admitting that that movie is perfect. Please <laughs> don't start with me. The politics of the movie were fine ish. The execution was just like what the fuck. Right. Is this? I mean, for all the, I think what intrigues me about Star Wars is that it, especially with the sequel trilogy is it does some really, really good, um, like secondhand political commentary. Like it's, it's whole thing about like diversity mm-hmm. and, um, Kylo Ren being a cipher for like radicalization. Um, but when it comes to the actual politics, um, a lot of it is lacking. Like I love these movies. Um, and I will be the first to admit that I have absolutely no idea where the First Order came from, (laughs) why it's so powerful, like, why the fuck no one noticed that someone is building, like, a (laughs) planet-sized, like, weapon of mass destruction. really big, okay? (laughs) Also, like, what are their aims? Their aims are to make the Empire great again. (laughs) Uh, Or, like, like, actually, but okay. (laughs) I mean, that is kind of the implication, is that they're just, like... I guess. But, like, a lot of that you do have to, like... Honeypot, you have to read into it. And the mm. only reason I know as much as I do about the First Order is because I'm so engaged with the extended materials. But you shouldn't have to be engaged with the extended materials to make sense of just a question like, why does the First Order exist? Why? And where did it come from? And what happened in the last 30 years that it became powerful enough to create, you know, to have like a giant armada mm-hmm. of ships and yeah. a planet-sized weapon of mass destruction. Like, how does that happen? And it's so powerful that, like, basically it's 25 people who are resisting it right now. Right. Like, the rest, the rest of the galaxy <laughs> is so crippled. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, that I can actually understand more because literally the government blew up. Yeah. And if the government blew up, there would be mass chaos. Like, mass chaos. Um, like, but you'd still think that there'd be like planets where they had military. I mean, it wasn't even the government; it was more like the United Nations. (laughs) Right. I mean, it would be like if someone blew up, or like the European Parliament, maybe. Right. Well, I'm thinking more of just like if you extrapolate from America, like if we're if we're taking because we're all Amer like two of us are Americans, so majority wins. Um, (laughs) if we just take like America as like a microcosm, like if someone blew up like DC. Like all of like all of the government, like mm-hmm. there would be chaos. Like there would be state guards called. I mean, you're right. You're right. There would be chaos. But I, I do think, and like, I think at the same time. But I just think you can extrapolate that to a galaxy even more. Like a lot of people sure. are going to have the impulse to be like, I just want to like hide. I just want to like buckle yeah. down and like protect myself because, you know, this. The Last Jedi occurs literally immediately after The Force Awakens. So, yeah. like, people probably and, don't even know that Starkiller Base was destroyed. Like, all they know is that know. Coruscant, or not Coruscant, but whatever, I don't mm-hmm. remember the Star Cluster, whatever, whatever that Star Coruscant, Cluster is, yeah. like, that blew up. Like, <laughs> And what I will say in the defense, mild defense, what I, what I think the uh, sequel trilogy has done 
that I don't think the original trilogy even really did is that we see like Kylo Ren's attack on the village in the beginning of Force Awakens. Like we see what these guys yeah. can do to innocent planets in a way that really that was really the, missing the from the trilogy. prequels. Like really missing. Yes. Like you really like you badly. do not understand why the Separatists are bad guys. Like they just seem to have a political disagreement. Right, well, Julia. It's about the taxation of trade routes. <laughs> but like, you, you need oh, you man. need Clone Wars to convince you that the Separatists are actually some. It's some so hard to should... talk about. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just so hard to talk about politics, mm. a bad use of politics, and not end up back with the uh, right. Well, and we'll link our. Um, we had a whole our fun segment on this. I believe it was in episode one of this season of the Fundamentalist. We'll link that in our show notes. <laughs> Yes, because we're in season two now, yes. which is meaningful. Very meaningful. Um, totally, yeah. Yeah. It means we got renewed. Yeah, but no. No, um, what what I'm curious about is let us know what you guys think are, have been the best use of politics and worst use of politics in shows or shows that, like, just can't write them or can write them. Uh, and also let us know your favorite honeypot because I'm curious <laughs> yeah. about it. Uh, so, look, th- that's about all the time we have for today. If you liked this episode, uh, you should tell a friend to listen to it and be like, yo these ladies you could also leave us a rating or review on podcasting apps uh i got an android very recently so i can confirm that podcasting apps do exist for androids and there's like 50 of them and frankly i don't know if i'm using the right one but they they're there and there's ratings uh so that helps us get discovered otherwise you can check out our writing on thefandamentals.com I'm trying to think of, I, I guess we've still got Supergirl reviews going on. I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, we have, we have Black Lightning reviews, which, uh, and I'm assuming we're going to have meta coming out about that. It's just too freaking good not to. Um, and always more stuff about Star Wars. Always. always. But yeah, other than that, thank you so much for listening to us, and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. Podcaster. I have the best segues. Uh, who else you, you have all the best segues. Yes, my segues are tremendous. Do you want to introduce them, dear? My segues? No, do you want to introduce the segments since you are the master of segues? <laughs> no, I just want to segue into the introductions. <laughs>